0: Welcome to Leadership Revealed, where John Paul shares his no-nonsense approach to all things leadership and scaling businesses. John interviews some of the most successful people in their industries to see what it takes to become a great leader. Be prepared for the truth about leadership and business. Please welcome your host, serial entrepreneur and top-selling author, John Paul. So when is enough enough? With staff. Now what do I mean by that? When is the right time to let a non-performing staff member go? Be that their actual performance, their attitude, their capability, the competence. When should we cut them loose? When should we do them the favour and us the favour? Well, I can guarantee one thing. In all my years of coaching and mentoring people, I've never come across anybody who's got rid of somebody too early. But I've come across several, tens, dozens of agents who've kept on to people far, far too long. Now, I wonder why. Well, there are a couple of reasons I'm going to go over and I'm going to share with you. Now, there are four main reasons why we will hang on to people far too long. And hopefully, well, in fact, I know, can, I can pretty much guarantee, which is a strong word, that these reasons will resonate with you in some way, shape or form. So the first one is, we just, we think we need a bum on the seat. Now, I've done another podcast called, I'd Rather Have a Hole in My Business Than an Arsehole, and I absolutely Love that phrase. So if you want to go check that out, I highly recommend you do. But the thing is, we think we need that bum on the seat. We think we need that somebody to answer the phone. We think we need them to to answer the emails, to be the front of house, which is a little bit counterintuitive because if that person hasn't got the right attitude or the behaviours aren't inherent with what we would like in our business, and yet we are putting that person front of house, front and dead centre, to answer potential incoming business. That is absolutely crazy. Now again, I talk about um, about how there was a, a survey where they asked 10,000 people, Americans, and they said, right, what can we do to make you better at your job? And there was all sorts of lists and, and options. And 65% came back and said, just give me better colleagues to work with. So again, if we are keeping the wrong person in the job role, the wrong bum on the seat, then it's not just doing them no favours, it's not doing our business no favours. It's actually colleagues that we're, we're going to be upsetting. And that's what we don't want because, you know, we've got a bad staff member that we want to get rid of. We want to performance manage out the business. But it could be good staff members that voluntarily put the notice in and leave. And then you're really going to be in the crap. So the worst thing you can do is keep a non-performing staff member in the business just because it's a bum on the seat. Because, again, if they're non-performing, what are you going to do? You're going to be taking the business off them. You're going to be taking the workload off them, making it as easy as they can. In effect, to the outside eye, the untrained eye, it's going to be looking as though you're rewarding them for non-performance. We've all got to do a certain amount of work in a day. They can't do it, so guess what? They get put on lighter duties for not performing. How does that look to everybody else? Now, everybody else, your colleagues, your other staff members might not admit it, but they're going to be pretty pissed off. Well, why is George got that job why can't George do this because he's crap he gets put in front of the house he gets put on the front of the desk he does all the easy jobs and yet I'm slogging my guts out here doing everything I can coming in early going home late and yet he gets all the easy stuff well what's the point point? and then the downward negative spiral and this is how a rotten culture sets in a toxic culture sets in your business it also means that who somebody else has to do the work so it's either you and as a business owner that's not what you want you genuinely do not want to be taking on more work because it's the old adage, it's a corny, cheesy phrase, I know, but working on your business as opposed to in it. If all of a sudden you were working on it and then you're taking all this work and you have to take some of it on, then you've gone back down into the weeds of the business and you don't want to do that. If you don't have to do it, somebody else has to do it in your business. And I can guarantee your staff are going to be a little bit resentful of having to take on more work because of somebody's inactions or poor actions. So... The bum on the seat argument is absolutely terrible. You'd rather have a little bit of pain, just rip that plaster off and have maybe a two, three month gap where you had to recruit somebody else knowing you're going to be recruiting somebody who's really good rather than an open-ended poor performer in your business where he's going to be there forever and a day or it's going to appear to be there forever and a day to the rest of your staff. At least when you've got a gap in your business and you're saying to your staff, don't worry guys, we're going to get a good recruit, it's going to be awesome, it's going to be great, we're getting there, we're getting there, and you're keeping them up to date and you're communicating with them, they're more likely to put up with that, that little bit of pain for a couple of months, than if you're not communicating, because you can't tell them when you're going to get rid of Fred, the non-performer, they're going to be a little bit paid off if uh, they think that person's going to be there forever and a day. Now the second reason, and this is oh, probably, I think, 98, 99% of or business owners are that you're scared of confrontation and that's not a criticism it literally just is what it is you know we all we all don't like confrontation considering my my job as many of you know was um, a professional fighter I used to get punched in the face for a living I still didn't like having confrontation with people so when I set up the business and bearing in mind I was still competing and, and uh, fighting at that time and if we had a, a tenant or a landlord or whatever I didn't like having a a shout match or even an email confrontation. It's not something that I enjoy. It's not something that that 99% of people enjoy. I think you're a sociopath if you you enjoy that. Now, don't get me wrong, I dealt with it. And, um, you know, it was fine and I dealt with it. And, again, you don't show fear and you don't show, um, you know, one, one step back and all that sort of stuff. So it becomes, it's the same as everything. The more you do something or the more you have to deal with something, the better you get at it. But even to this day... I would prefer, if I had to have a civil conversation with somebody, or have a bit of a not a shouting match, but something that was a little bit, it was you know a bit confrontational. I would choose the civil conversation every single time, because I don't want to get the adrenaline rushing through my body. I don't want to get high up and, and hit up and um, you know be a little bit aggressive. And I, it's not it's not for me. It's not something I want to I want to be these days. So. Because we're scared of confrontation, we don't want to have that conversation with people. And unfortunately, we have to have it. If we've got a non-performer in the business and they are doing more damage to the business, we have to have those chats. Now, the way I look at it, and it it might be a little bit weird, is is you've got to have a higher purpose or you've got to have some sort of higher vision um, or connect yourself with something higher in order to have those difficult conversations. So for me, and I've, I have mentioned this before, is I look at my family. And I say by not having those conversations, not getting confrontational in a verbal way with that employee or potentially, then that is going to be damaging to my family. And when I look at my wife and my kids and my family, and I, I just say, right, you know what? I'm not bothered. I'll have that confrontation. I am absolutely, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. And effectively what you're doing is you are, you're mentally psyching yourself up Now, remember, you're not psyching yourself up to go in there and have an all-out war. You're just psyching yourself up to actually go out and have that conversation in the first place. And the thought of something happening is a hell of a lot worse than the actual reality. I don't know if, uh, you know, you're like kids and and you had arguments with your friends at school and you had the old, all right, um, Sammy wants to fight with you on the playground and and, and Fred's going to get you after school. The worry of that happening all day was absolutely horrific but when it came to to going home at school time and Sammy and Fred were there and you just have a little argument or it was a little bit of a push and a shove or, and then you were best friends again. So the actual reality of having that fight or that, that confrontation was ten times worse than, than worrying about it. Um, sorry, other way around. Worrying about it was a lot worse than the actual confrontation. And this is exactly the same. If a staff member gets aggressive or says, well, I disagree... Or or goes a little bit OTT or too far, you can just say, "I'm terminating this conversation. I don't want to talk to you. You need to go away and calm down." You're always in the driving seat. You've always got options. And if they do get like that, then they've actually just fallen into your trap because they've actually just proven that you've made the right decision anyway, and that your values are misaligned. So you've got to have those those conversations, and don't be scared. Um, You know, it is going to be the thought of it is going to be a lot worse than the actuality. Now, the third one is slightly linked to it, and it's a case of you're not sure what to say or how to say it or how to come across. right? And again, it's because you've not done it before. So it, it's the same with everything. It's called myelinization. So if anybody wants to read a, an amazing book um, called The Talent Code by Daniel Coyne, and he talks about this process, this this neurological process, and effectively, I'm going I'm to paraphrase this amazing book, the more you do something, the better you get at it. There you go, you don't have to go buy it. (laughs) No, go and buy it, it's absolutely amazing. But it's the same with hard skills and soft skills. So hard skills being the physicality of of rugby, football, cricket, table tennis, badminton, whatever sport you like to play, martial arts. The more you do something, it becomes ingrained in your brain and you can pull off that move, pull off that trick really, really quick. Now, soft skills are what what would be the verbal equivalent. So if you've ever been in a, a meeting with somebody a business partner, a mentor, a coach, and they just seem to have the right words to say at the right time. Somebody comes back with an objection, they, they counter it. So this would be a very, very good valuer or a listener in the real estate industry or a very good negotiator, and they, they just come back and they say, oh, don't worry, and they just come up with their spiel or, oh, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? Now, it's quite impressive when somebody knows the right things to say at the right time. And that's because they've done the action or they've been in that situation over and over and over and over again. So, this is absolutely nothing new to them. Now, that is the soft skills part of myelinization. And this is the same thing. So, the first time you say to somebody, look, it's not working, we've just got to part ways, and they come back with a couple of um, uh, counteractions, if you want to call it, they come back with a couple of sentences and phrases, and you're stuck and you go, "Uh, uh, uh, uh," it feels a little bit embarrassing. Right, but I guarantee you the next time somebody comes back, and if you're like me and you know, something doesn't go as well as what it could and should have done, you sit back and you reflect on it and you say, Right, John, how could you have done better in this situation? What could you have said? What could you have done? Could you have just said, That's a good question, I think I'll come back to you on that. Or did I just speak and try and fill the gap? Fill that fill that verbal pause if you like. Now the more and more you are in that situation, the better you become at it. So the first time you do it, it's not gonna go great. I'm not going to lie to you and say you're going to be brilliant at it, but it's not. That is just a fact of life. But the second time, you'll be slightly better. The third time will be slightly better. It's a little bit like riding a bike when you had your stabilisers on. When your kids were riding the bike and you took the stabilisers off, the first time they fell off, did you say, that's it, don't worry about it, we're just going to drive everywhere from now on, you don't have to ride a bike? Or did you say, get your butt back on there, we're going to try again, try again, try again? It's exactly the same thing. And you know I'm right. It just It's just very, very uncomfortable. And the last thing is, sometimes you think, well, it's better the devil you know. What happens if I don't get a better staff member? What happens if I get somebody who's even worse? Now, this to me, I'll be honest, I think is the weakest out of the four reasons. I think what you need to do and understand is, if that person is not the right person for you, you need to get rid of them. There are better people out there. We have literally gone in one of our branches for six months without a manager because we will not accept anybody who's not good enough. So we had two managers. One left because they couldn't hack it. We had to, we had to part ways. One that was our decision. And you know we have been without a, a manager for six months. Now it's fine because all the other managers are pulling together. We've got an area manager. We've got an MD. We're a large enough company to to very easily hold that together. That's not a problem. Even our staff members. It's been interesting to see that which staff members have actually leveled up and stepped up to the plate and taken on more responsibility. And we're constantly communicating, and we're constantly asking them, are you okay, do you need any help, is there any support you need, what can we do to make it better? And that's one of the things that you can do in a situation where you haven't got a bum on a seat, and you think you need somebody to constantly communicate with people. But the point is, we will not accept mediocrity. Well, as soon as you start accepting mediocrity, you might as well just accept that you'll never have a special company. You'll never be exceptional. You'll never give that excellent customer service and you won't give the customer the experience they need because mediocrity is something nobody ever shouts about. No no one ever goes into a shop and say, go to that shop, they were bang average. Go over there, they were just satisfactory. Nobody shouts about that. Now, if that's what you want, then fantastic, go for it. But it's nothing I ever want and it's nothing that any of my clients or customers want. We want to be that exceptional agent, that exceptional business and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. You just want to be the best that you can possibly be. Now, the timing issue of this. Now, when when is the right time? Now, there's a couple of questions you've got to ask yourself. And the first one is, and my, my MD and I always ask this when somebody leaves. Could we and should we have done anything more to help that person in their journey with Castledane or one of the branches, one of the brands that we've got? That is the first question that you should ask yourself. Could I have done more? to make them last effectively, that's what what you're asking yourself. And then you've got to retrospectively go back and you've got to look at everything they did, every interaction they had, every training session, the one-to-ones, the induction plans, You know, everything that you did to help them, to train and develop them, was it good enough? If you can hand on heart, after that, say, do you know what, we did everything we could and we've still got to part ways, then that's when you part ways. If you go back and you say, you know what? There's something we didn't train them. We didn't have one-to-ones. The feedback loop was missing. We didn't tell them they need to improve at this. Um, You know, the manager was weak. They didn't have a manager. You know, that's that's a possible thing. Some people are are very good at managing properties. Some people are very good at selling properties. But when they have to take that step up to managing people, it's completely different. And I'm I'm doing an episode on that about the difference between a good manager and a bad manager. So be sure to check that one out. It's coming out in a couple of weeks. So if you've done all that and you can hand on heart say, you know, I give them the very, very best and they still haven't performed, then that is the time to cut loose. And by the way, guys, you hire slow and you fire fast. That is one of the mantras that we absolutely live by. There's no point having somebody who's toxic, who's not going to work out in your business. But if after that you've looked and you said, we didn't do this, the one-to-ones weren't good enough, we didn't have a manager, as I said, then one, you need to put things right, And two, actually go to the staff member. There's nothing wrong with saying, do you know what? We haven't done what we should have done. We're going to do this one-to-one with you. We're going to put it right. Because again, that staff member could be an absolute brilliant employee, but you haven't done everything you could and should have done. Now, here's the question. If you employ somebody else and you still don't have the one-to-ones and they still don't succeed, then it's clearly on you, isn't it? It's not the staff member, it's not the employee. So you're you're setting everybody else up to fail by not having those processes or procedures or things in place. You're never going to get where you need to be. So rather than blaming the staff member and saying, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them, which is actually quite selfish, look at you and look at your business and say, do you know what, what can we have done to make that person a better employee? How can we change in order so that every single employee gets that great induction, gets those brilliant one-to-ones. What can we do? Have we written our procedures so they have the, the rules of the game, the game being the business? Because if you don't have the rules, then how can people follow them? So is it any wonder that that person's failed? So just quickly to recap, you don't get rid of non-performance staff because of four reasons, and that is you want a bum on a seat, you're scared of confrontation, and you're not sure how to get rid of them, what to say but also you think that having that person is better the devil you know. Now, the other side of the coin is when it is the best time to get rid of that person. And again, you've just got to look at your current processes of how you're managing that person, how you're training that person, how you're communicating with that person, and have you got the feedback loop in your business, as in one-to-ones, constant communication, talking to them, saying, right, Sarah, you've done this, absolutely brilliant, we need to practise and focus on that, have you done this? Have you done that? And, you know, you can get better at this, and this is how you're going to do it as well. And then that monitoring. If you've got that in place and is still not performing, get rid. Absolutely get rid. If you haven't got that in place, put it in place. Because the next person you recruit for that person is going to be on the same unlevel, level uneven footing as what the previous employee was. You want to give everybody their best chance of succeeding. Because if you don't, you're not going to have that stable business, you're just going to have that revolving door in and out of staff every couple of months. So I hope you enjoyed that, that episode and see you next time on Leadership Revealed.